0: Okay, so are we ready to get into God's word this morning? Awesome. Are we ready to get into God's word this morning? Yes. All right. Come on. I want to make sure all of you are awake this morning because I have a message for the church this morning. So today is week three of Fruitful, the series I started a couple weeks ago. And if you remember week one, we talked about praying without ceasing. And when you hear that, phrase it's like oh boy do you mean i gotta go in my prayer closet and pray 24 hour a day seven days a week 365 days a a year no that's that's not what i'm saying but it's something that jesus perfected very well just because he went to the mountaintops just because he went to the desolate places to be alone with the father and when he came down or out of the desolate places and came down from the mountaintops didn't mean he stopped praying he continued to have that connection with the father And we know this because of the things that he did were absolutely incredible, miracle signs and wonders. There's no way he would know how to engage people and do the things he did if he was not consistently connected, acknowledging the Father, in communication, lines of communication were open, always aware. And praise God for the Holy Spirit because that's the reason why that we can have that connection and through Jesus, obviously, to have that relationship with the Father so that we could pray without ceasing. And then last week I talked about the Bible and how the Bible is incredibly important in our lives. That actually continues the conversation. That continues the lines of communication to be open. That continues the, the praying without ceasing is when you decide to spend time in God's word and understand and know what it means when God says, it is written. When Jesus said to the devil in the wilderness, it is written, Having that word in him, he was and is the word, amen. But being able to go back and bring it out as a weapon to say to the devil, No, what you're saying is a lie, and I'm going to counter that lie with the word because it is written, and his word is powerful because God spoke the word, the word is written, and whatever God says to us now, we can go back to the word, to what is written, it refers back to it. Nothing, absolutely nothing, that is said apart from his word is true. His word is absolute truth. So we have to grab on to that because, like I said, and in, in what we've talked about before um, I, got, I went into prayer this morning, is some of us in here feel like we're broken and crushed. And so the devil is going to come at us as a child of God. You have a bullseye on your back. He wants to destroy you. He wants to keep you from fulfilling the plan that God has for your life. But if you know what is written, there ain't no way that the devil can destroy you. Just no way. And then you'll be fruitful. Fruitful is not just about being fruitful for God's kingdom. It's also being being fruitful in your life. Because guess what? Unbelievers are watching you. They're watching you through the trials that you're going through right now. They're watching you in your life. And if they see somebody who is unfruitful... Are they going to come to Jesus? Probably not. But if they see your fruitfulness, they see that you are praying without ceasing, that you are spending time in the word, they'll see the fruit of that and realize, I want what they have. And they will come to Jesus. Third thing I want to talk about, which is this week and the last thing, is something else that's incredibly important. And I've actually spoke about this before, but I really feel like I need to speak about it again. Because it's great that we can pray. It's great that we can study the word. But if we don't have this one key thing, there ain't no way we're going to win the lost. Or those that have veered off the path. There's just no way. That word is mercy. Mercy. We can talk to talk all day long, but walking the walk, that means walking like Jesus did, is really what's going to matter. For those that are outside this building looking in, for those that are at your work watching you, those that go to school with you as you start school this year, and they're watching how you respond in social situations, if I can speak this morning. What you display is as important as how you pray and as you study the word. It's on an equal level. And what Jesus showed tremendously was incredible restraint. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us deserves eternity in hell. Every one of us. But he came to save us from that truth. And he did so through love, compassion, and mercy. So I want to show the definition of mercy up on the screen. There it is. That's straight out of Webster's Dictionary. That's what the world says mercy is. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. It's absolutely in God's power. He could have wiped us out. There are times in the Bible where he wanted to. But he sent Jesus instead. The vessel of mercy. The one who who lived by compassion and love and kindness to all of us. In Psalm 103, verse 8. It says this, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. How many of you like to hear that? Now, it's awesome. We can receive that for ourselves, right? But when we see somebody else sinning, it's not mercy. Instead, you want to throw a stone I know Pastor Rob has taught on this years ago. He taught about holy hand grenades. You remember that sermon? I do. That is our reaction, nine times out of ten. That's sometimes how I react, and I'm going to share with you some stories about that here in a minute. The Passion Translation says it this way because it defines what mercy, how the Lord is merciful and gracious. This is what the Passion Translation says. It says, "Lord, you're so kind and tender-hearted. People in this world need to see us as believers as kind and tender-hearted and so patient with people who fail you." Wow. Patience with people that fail God. He shows that patience, yet we don't, do we, when somebody fails us. You love like a flooding river and overflowing the banks with kindness. I love that. See, we are to show mercy. God shows it to us, but I think sometimes we forget about us showing it to people. To the point where I've heard things like this, like, ministry is hard because of people. I'm like, what? I, and, and I understand that, trust me, I do. But there is a thing called mercy. There is a thing that Jesus said about the log being in our own eye, taking it out before we take out the speck in the other person's eye, Right? I mean, there is this humbling experience that we need to be walking on this earth with the understanding of the grace and mercy that was given to us. But sometimes we watch this earth thinking we got it all together, and everybody else does not. And what we end up doing is we end up pushing people away. And so this is what I'm going to talk about today. And with that, let's pray, because I feel like we need to pray. Father, we thank you so much for this evening or this morning, if I can get my time right. I'm on Scottish time already. Father, I just thank you right now that your hand is upon this service and upon the word that you've given me today. I just ask that as we're talking about mercy, that we start to understand what this means for our lives so that we can live it. Not so that we can be you, but so that we can be like you so that those who don't know Jesus, those that are going through a difficult time will come to him, Father. I thank you for open hearts to receive this morning, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So yeah, today, actually, I thought about talking about how to witness to people. How do you evangelize people? I've actually had some young people ask me about how to witness to people and actually, that's what I was going to do this, this Sunday. I was going to talk about that. I was going to kind of go through, this is how you engage somebody. This is how you tell them about the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done for you and how to receive him and how to repent of their sins and blah, blah, blah. And instead, what God said is, it's not necessarily the words that are important. Yes, they are. But more so, it's about how you're living your life in front of the people that are not believers or going to church. So where I want to take you this morning is in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I'm actually going to be reading from the Passion Translation because I feel like this really communicates what it is that I'm trying to say this morning. We're going to begin in verse 1. And I'm going to take you through 1 through verse 11. So, in verse one, Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. So, what do you think he's doing as he spent the night on the Mount of Olives? Praying. Takes you back to week one of this series, right? He is praying. He has taken the moment to rest from ministry, to go to this place that overlooks the city of Jerusalem, spend the night. And I could just see him sitting there watching the city of Jerusalem as the candles were being blown out and it was quiet and he was just spending time with God. The recharge. Plugging in and letting his, his self charge up so that he could go and do what he's going to do the next day. So whether you're on a mountaintop or a desolate place, you should pray, amen? And that's what he was doing. So in verse 2, then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again. And soon, all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. All the people gathered around. How many of you are all the people gathered around right now? Amen. You know what Jesus was doing? He was holding church in the temple. That's awesome. Like, I've read this a hundred times, this story, and never really occurred to me that he actually was holding church as people were gathered around, all kinds of people like you and me, sinners. And he's God, so as he's looking at all these people that are gathered around, he knows everything about them. He knows, but guess what? He sat with them, and he taught them. And they were listening. Why? Because he was known for compassion. He was the one that went around healing the sick, setting the captives free, showing love, mercy, grace. So they came to church with the Son of God to hear what he had to say. They were all gathered around him. And this is when it gets cray-cray, beginning in verse 3. Then, in the middle, everybody say in the middle. In the middle of his testimony, his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle. Let's hear it in the middle. Of everyone. There are two things that are pointed out here in this passage. There are two things that get in the way of people hearing the word, of people receiving Jesus, of people coming to Jesus. Number one is religion, the religious people got in the middle of what Jesus was trying to do. Bring those people that were gathered around into a loving relationship with Him and the Father. Hearing the word of life. Hearing the truth. Here comes, as Elijah says, the pastor of our youth, the religious nerds. And they come rolling in. Religion gets in the way. When I go to Scotland... That is primarily what gets in the way of people receiving Jesus. Are those who have a religious attitude, a pious nature, you know what that communicates? There is no way that I will ever be received or accepted by God. Because if you, the religious people, can't even show love and compassion to me, then how is it on earth God show a loving and compassionate nature towards me. There's no way. That is something that I know Pastor Dave deals with in Scotland. That is something that I'm going to be challenged with when I go there. And I'm ready for that. Because I believe when they hear that God is compassionate and merciful, no, he does not condone sin. No, he does not overlook it. But you know what? Instead of giving the hammer to you right up front, He shows love first, compassion first, and then he'll say, go and sin no more. But these religious people, they want blood. So what do they do? They throw somebody else's sin in the middle of what Jesus was doing. So the second thing that gets in the middle of us and Jesus is sin. Sin is is not something that God likes, obviously, right? But what we do is we place it in the middle and we figure that because we're sinful, because there is sin, there's no way we can come to Jesus. And that's absolutely the opposite. Because of sin, Jesus came and died for us. And he wants us to come to him with our sinful nature. To repent and ask for forgiveness. And we will receive grace and mercy. But these Pharisees had a different take on things. And this is where we pick up. Verse 4. Then they say to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? the law. They are asking the one who basically wrote the law. They are asking the one who came to fulfill the law. What is it that we're supposed to do with her, Jesus? She broke the law. Has anybody read the law and what they do to people that commit adultery? Deuteronomy chapter 22, if you've never read that, go and check that out. The stoning. I have on this table some stones. Granted, these are small. But what they did was somebody who was caught in the act of adultery, sexual immorality, was they would cast them outside of the city, whatever city they were in, and they would stone them to death. Death by bludgeoning. It was horrific. There was no mercy. The law does not show mercy. But the reason why Jesus came to fulfill the law was because he came to be the perpetuation of our sins. That's a fancy word as he took our place on the cross and received God's wrath for our sinful nature. And instead, these Pharisees, these religious people, wanted justice. They wanted what was deserved by that woman. And let me tell you something. If we got what we deserved, like I said, we'd all be spending eternity in hell. But they wanted justice, and they were hungry for it. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, the reason for the stoning, the reason for casting the adulteress out of the city, the Bible says this, to purge the evil from our midst. And I think the church is really good at wanting to do that. Because we will judge and condemn somebody, we will not show mercy. Because we want to get that sin away from us. You know why? Because it highlights our own sin. The fact that we're also sinful. But yet, when it comes to sin like adultery, when it comes to homosexuality, when it comes to gender confusion, when it comes to addiction, then it's very easy for us to look at that and say, purge that evil from our midst and we want to hurl stones and what Jesus is about to say here is no bring that evil into our midst let it all gather around us so they can hear the truth because like I said last week what does the truth do it sets us free it sets us free And where I see abortion, adultery, addiction, homosexuality, gender confusion, whatever it is that our pet sins are that we'd like to throw stones at, is an opportunity for God's love and mercy to do the purging of the evil from their midst. Not judgment and condemnation. Boy, it is quiet in here. This is what the Pharisees were doing in John chapter 8. I'm continuing in verse 6. They were only testing Jesus. See, they didn't care about the woman. They didn't care about what she did in helping her find freedom. What they wanted to do was to test God. How many of us know testing God in something like this is probably not a good idea? Amen? Because guess where that stone is going to go? It's going to bounce off them and come hurling back at me. They felt like they could test the living God. Why? Because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Wow. See, the type of calm cool, and collected nature that Jesus displayed was also mercy towards them. Like, I would have been livid, seen through their scheme, knowing they were testing me, shaming this woman, showing that they don't care about her. They just wanted justice. They wanted her to get what she deserved. I would have been livid if I was God, and that's why I'm not God. No, instead, he was calm, collected his, his thoughts, collected himself, bent down, and started writing in the sand. We have no idea what he wrote in the dirt. None. There's some speculation as to what it was. Some say possibly he was writing out the sins of every one of those men that came to get her stoned. might have been the case. That might be a question we can ask him when we get to heaven. But like I said, they were testing him and we should know that that kind of testing, in this case, will backfire. Verse seven. So here's Jesus. He's calmly riding in the sand. He's in a position of vulnerability, if you think about it, because he is stooping and they're standing over him. Talk about humility. Verse 7, angry, they kept insisting. Angry. Well, you know, Pastor Jeff, the whole thing, be angry not sin. You know that passage. Sure. I understand that. I'm going to read you that passage here in a minute. But they were angry in a different way. They are angry because they wanted justice. They wanted Jesus to fail this test. They were angry that the one they were testing was not answering them. Friends, how many of us in this room and watching online are angry right now? Our anger is misplaced. We're angry at people. Angry at President Biden. Ooh, did I just say that? Some of us are angry at former President Trump. We're angry. And I don't want the church to be angry at people. For we fight against principalities, not flesh and blood. And I'm going to tell you something. I've had to learn that myself. I'm as conservative, red-blooded, patriotic as they come. I am and I'm only telling you that to illustrate a point that I've had to lay that aside and keep that to myself I just didn't I just said it publicly I'm sorry but that is not what guides me to how I love people and if I start to try to direct people in that direction then what happens is I turn off 50% of the people that live in this country. And I will never reach them for the gospel. Never. Turn them off. There is so much pressure. I've heard from leaders in our faith. They're saying, you must make a stand for this because if you don't, then you're condoning it. Okay, I will make a stand for that, and as I do, I will push half this country away from the gospel. I just want to focus on loving people. And I look at you, and I see amazing people. I see people that come in here that are hungry to hear the word. I have that responsibility to deliver to you in love, right? But let the word do the correcting, And what I say, yes, it will be corrective. This is kind of a corrective message, right? If the shoe fits, wear it. If it don't, then don't. But the anger is unbelievable to the point where it's divisive. And what I want is for the anger to be, yes, this world is fallen. Yes, thank you, Adam and Eve. Here we are, this fallen world. It's going to happen. The Bible says we've all sinned. But it also says that the gift of God came to redeem us from that sin. I want to be angry at the fact this world has fallen and be angry at the devil. But when it comes to people, even though my flesh is angry, there's discipline. And instead of anger, comes out love, compassion, mercy. I start to put the stones back on the table. And I don't pick them up anymore. Instead, I love them first. And I bring them into what I believe is a loving church. So that they can hear the message of love from God. To receive Jesus. And then they will be changed. That's why when they become a new creation, the old passes away. And then all things become what? New. Amen? They were angry and they kept insisting that he answer their questions. So, as they insisted, Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. Drop the mic. You know what he just did there? He looked at them. Oh, you want to talk about the law? Let's talk about the law. I've come to fulfill the law. I've also come to make it harder. So you may not have committed the act of adultery, but probably every one of you dudes have lusted after a woman. So you might as well have. It's basically what he said. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, this is what it says. The whole be angry and not sin. Paul writes, but don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not even for a day. Don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. See, as soon as our anger flips from being angry at the fallen nature of this world and flips to being angry at people, we've just sinned. And we've just opened the door for the devil to come in and have a field day with us. And what ends up happening, because we're human and we just love when our flesh makes us feel like we're righteous, like we are pious, we love that feeling that we're on top of somebody in, in some way. As soon as that happens then all that ends up happening is we push people away from the gospel. And it starts out small. I'm going to give you an example. So last week, yeah, last week your pastor sinned. I'm sorry. I was driving into work. And how many of you are fans of the movie Christmas Vacation? Can I get a woot woot? Yeah, there we go. Okay, not, not, some of you need prayer. Man. <laughs> This Christmas, your task is not only to invite a whole lot of people to church, but to watch the movie Christmas Vacation. And just be careful. There are some bad words in it. So, and there's some other things in there too. But anyway, I digress. So that scene, the opening scene, when they're driving to get the awesome Christmas tree that they're going to go get, there's this truck that pulls up behind them and begins to tailgate, Right? And Clark Griswold looks in, in his rearview mirror and sees the two heathens that are driving too closely to his car. That's what was happening to me on the way to work. And a good old Broken Arrow, the nice, nice town that we live in full of nice people. And, and that's exactly what it was, a beat up truck behind me with two guys that looked just like that scene in the movie getting a little too close to my fairly new car. And the flesh was crawling, let me tell you. And I looked at my rearview mirror and the thoughts that I had, "Mm -mm -mm, let me tell you. See, we laugh at that, but that's just as bad as adultery in God's eyes. Just as bad as homosexuality. But you know what I was doing? I was judging them. And yeah, there's a part of me that wanted justice. Like, you know how it is. You want to go ahead and tap your brakes. Come on. And you're like, go ahead and hit me, dude. Then I'll have something to do. You know, i have something to say about it, right? It's like, it starts out that small. And then me thinking, even though they didn't know, maybe they did, I could see my eyes in the rearview mirror. But that little crack In my door here comes the devil and all of a sudden it grows from there then I start to form judgments of other people listen some of our staff on Friday went to go serve at Sequoia Middle School here in Broken Arrow their back-to-school event And they had about 150 kids show up, and those kids need Jesus, man. Like the middle school kids. They are middle school kids. They act like adults. They say things that are adult, if you know what I mean. And you want to know something? They wouldn't be that way if their parents were more invested they're not and I could feel myself starting to form judgments God reminded me of what happened on that road with that dude or dudes tailgating me because from that grew into I'm starting to judge kids and what it points out is there ain't no way I can hurl a rock hurl a rock there's just no way because I'm guilty too. And what I want is for those kids and their families to come to a church where they will not feel like they're being pelted by rocks, but instead they're loved on, and they'll get to know Jesus because we are loving them instead of judging them. So this is what happened. After Jesus dropped the mic, he went back to writing in the sand again. He said, let that sit there for a minute. Let that marinate in your mind. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, listen up, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience. What stuck out to me, and please understand I'm saying this in love, is that the ones that were wanting to throw the stones at her that were the oldest in the group left first. And then the young followed. Why? Because the young people are impressionable. Young people look up to us, the older generation. And yes, I just turned 49 last week. I'm knocking on the door of 50. I guess I'm old now, right, youth? Yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm old now. I'm, I'm, I'm with you all, legacy generation, I guess. I'm knocking on the door. So the point being is the younger look up to us. And how we display mercy is how they're going to learn it. And see, I'd love to say this is the next generation, but every one of those youth that are sitting over there right now, every one of those young adults that are out here and I see them, okay, they, they are the generation of the church now. They're not the next generation. They're already here. They're already invested. We had some interns this summer that knocked it out of the park. You wouldn't know it because you don't know what they do behind the scenes. Well, let me tell you something. There is some fruit that's going to come out of this internship the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months that they were with us, that are going to blow you away. We have the young people that are invested, and yes, they are looking up to us, the older generation. And as you display love, mercy, and compassion, they will look at that. They will learn from that. And this is what happened. They saw the older ones drop their stones first and leave. And so they did as well. Oldest to youngest. And they left with a convicted conscience. Unfortunately for them, the Pharisees, it wasn't enough for them to repent. But at least they knew. Sometimes knowing and not repenting, you yeah, don't want to be there. But at least They learned something. So until finally, so we begin in verse 10 of John chapter 8. Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, and if you can imagine her standing there, I can imagine tears just She's shaking. She's freaked out by what is happening. And this is what he says. Where are your accusers? You know, the ones that were interrupting our church service here, that were trying to test me, where are they now? Is there no one here to condemn you? And she looked around and she replied, I see no one, Lord. The fact that she had to look around to see that made me believe that she was shamed. Like she had her head down. She was weeping. She was sobbing uncontrollably. She had her eyes closed, expecting to be dragged out of Jerusalem and stoned to death. So she had to look around. She said, I see no one, Lord. I almost think that was a surprise statement. Nobody's here to condemn me. These people of the law, they're not here to hurl stones at me. So Jesus said this, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go and from now on be free from a life of sin. He says this multiple times through the Gospels. The paralytic, get up off your mat Grab your mat, go home, do not sin anymore. He didn't beat him over the head where there's sin up front. Sin wasn't even mentioned until there was mercy, grace, compassion, love, kindness, tenderheartedness displayed. And then he took care of business, but in a loving way. Church, it's time to drop our stones. I felt this needed to be said today instead of evangelism. What I've learned through my time doing evangelism, and it was fruitful. We had many people saved. But what I've learned is what people want to see, especially as we're getting into a day, as we're getting closer to Jesus coming back, is actually Jesus being displayed through our lives. But we are so quick, our tongue is so quick, you know why? Because as Jesus said, your heart, what's in your heart's gonna come out. And that's where we let the devil in when we start to judge. When we start to get angry at the people, we start to let him to come in, and so what comes out of our heart is exactly what the devil wants us to say to people. And so we beat him over the head instead of loving them. Years ago, I was at a national sales meeting I was having dinner. I was seated at a table with a lot of people. And the person who was sitting next to me, and I'll just say it, I'll say what happened. He, he's gay. He was gay. And he's somebody who was on my team. And so I had befriended him. He was actually one of the nicest people I've ever met. And he knew where I stood. We've had lots of conversations about Jesus. I was freshly saved at that time, somewhat, and I was really trying to help people, and he leaned over me, over me that night and said, so I'm said, I'm going to move in with my partner. And he realized, oh, that's right, I forgot, you're, you're a Christian. He goes, I know where you stand on that. And I was like, yeah, I know you know where I stand on that but I'm still your friend. We didn't really have much conversation after that when it came to Jesus, but we were still friends. And if I would have stuck around on that team a little bit longer, who knows what would have happened. But there's one thing that I've heard Pastor Jeff say, and I think it's very, very true, is sometimes you're the first signpost and their journey to Jesus. The fact that I didn't open up on that man and say, dude, you are wrong. You are going to go to hell if you don't repent. You need to get out of that lifestyle. The Bible says that is an abomination to God, blah, blah, blah. His first encounter with a believer like that, what had shut him down moving forward to anybody else along his journey that would come and tell him about Jesus. So I believe, even though I didn't have a chance to lead him to Jesus, I left the door open for someone else to lead him to Jesus. That is where we need to be today.